Hello and welcome to Pen Paper ETC, the creativity podcast where I explore my creative as well as talk about art, music, culture, writing, pretty much whatever I want to. That's the joy of not having a paid podcast. I get to talk about whatever I want. Today on the podcast, I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive. Uh, I'd like to talk about my musical influences in the year 2000 and in the year 2006, respectively. I think these were both really formative times for me, and I just want to take a look back and explore them a bit, kind of suss out the details of what made these years in particular so special to me and so formative. Like I said, this would be a deep cut. And who knows what I'm going to find here. I'm really not sure. As usual, this is another ad hoc recording. So please bear with me as I make mistakes and stumble my way along. And maybe we can discover something along the way. So thank you very much. Okay, so 2000 and 2006. Why these two years in particular? What is it about them? Is it the years historically, like what was happening in these two years that made them special? Or is it just two different periods of my life when I was growing and learning new things? I think it's a little bit of both. So I'll start with just the personal side of things. And zoom back to 2000. What was I doing in 2000? I was, I was about 16 years old and uh, I had gotten a job in a car for the first time and I had uh, a little bit of disposable income and a lot of my disposable income went to buying video games, but also a lot of my disposable income went to buying some new CDs, and 2000 was probably the first big, um, I don't know what you want to I don't know how to call it, but like the, hmm, the first push I ever had in my life towards an individual music taste. So before that, uh, I'd kind of gone off the social currency of listening to kind of whatever was on the radio and, uh, you know, whatever, you know, other kids were listening to, you know, like, oh, 311, wow, they're cool, I guess I'll get their album, and, you know, I did, and I listened to it over and over as well as No Doubt and things like that in the late 90s. Um, you know, and then entering into high school, I went to a white, all-boys high school where uh, musical taste was, and, and this was in the south, so uh, south of the U.S., so the musical taste was... Um, it was a range from classic rock, stoner rock, 
there wasn't a lot of punk. It was like classic rocks, uh, different uh, alternative rock, maybe uh, like 80s hair metal. You, you definitely had a lot of people listening to rock at my school. Um, there were, you know, the ones of us that wanted to act cool and listen to hip hop. That had a different kind of like, you know, ooh, we're in private school listening to 3 Six Mafia. Oh my gosh. Um, it had that kind of vibe. And because of that, I, I stayed away from hip hop for the longest time, really because I didn't want to just get involved in a bunch of big bullshit. Uh, there was not really an electronic listen to music, you know, like, I talked about it, you would probably listen to classic rock. That's what the cool kids were into. Uh, a lot of Pink Floyd, a lot of Zeppelin, uh, had, you know, that was kind of in vogue at the time. And so that, that influenced me a lot. I listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin back in the day. And, uh, I'd also get into blues, because in Memphis we have uh, a lot of blues on the radio, you know, and I could, there was something that really vibrated with me, uh, like that, that bluesy sound, because I was sort of a loner, and being a loner, um, hearing that, that sound of, you know, like, I didn't have any real blues, like, I never even had a girlfriend, but just, there was this, that kind of melancholy of it, there was something in that music really captured me, and, um, yeah, so I, I got into Zep, uh, because they're kind of a gateway drug, of course now, you know, it's pretty infamous how much they stole, uh, there weren't from black musicians, um, but at the time, it was it was easy to access for me. It was easy to find a copy of Led Zeppelin or Led Zeppelin II and uh, listen to all these tracks. And they were kind of an introductory phase for me. And um, listening to like uh, Jimmy Page's guitar and all of this, uh, Robert Plant's vocals, uh, you know, it just like really struck a chord, you know. And, no pun intended, and made certain classic rock. In my er early high school years, I'm talking like 98, 99, uh, that was sort of the foundation of like, my musical taste. And so this bridged over into 2000 when uh, I, uh, I got disposable income and then started buying CDs. So of course at this time, CDs were still uh, the main form of listening to music. Napster had come in, I, I believe it was 99 when Napster came in. Um, but my house didn't actually, we didn't have internet. I, I was like one of the last kids to get internet at my house. So uh, I didn't really have access to that. Um, I just bought CDs. Like use CDs, and I could go to the CD store, 
browse the racks and maybe find uh, like you know oh here's a copy of Project Ten that's good uh, or oh here's some weird band whatever oh here's a copy of like Live's second album I wonder if that's good it, it kind of gave me the freedom to like experiment a little you know and take some risks with the music. And the, the other thing that was happening at the time was somebody taught me this really cool trick, which uh, kind of stayed with me for a long time. Um, we had a computer lab at school, and you know that was uh, you know if you didn't have the internet at home, you just use the computer lab after the school hours. And uh, one day I was sitting next to a fellow student and he said, yeah, you know, the way I listen to, you know, the way I find music is I go onto Amazon and this, this was, you know, this is 99 or so, 99 or 2000 and I go by the recommendations. I type in a band that I like and, um, you know, even way back then, Amazon still had recommendations. Yeah, it was primarily a bookstore, but you could also buy CDs. You know, that, that was that was Amazon branching out at the time. And uh, he's like, "Yeah, I just I go by the recommendations. Like you type in band, and then Amazon will give you this list." And I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And actually, it worked really, really well. I would have, um, you know, like I, I don't even know how I got like, stumbled on. John Spencer Blues Explosion, I think because of that, because of fucking around on Amazon, I, I found John Spencer Blues Explosion. And like, whoa, this, this name is really weird, but oh, this sounds interesting, you know, so I just uh, maybe like found a copy of their album to it, you know, maybe whatever. And, uh, that was, that was music at the time. It was just, it was really weird. You know? Like, we were, we were high school kids. We we're not, like, in some music scene or anything. We really, um, you know, like, everybody's music taste was informed by their big brother who was into Jimi Hendrix or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, nobody really had branching musical tastes yet. It was really hard at that time. To like, you know, like get into some crazy stuff. Like, there was no what CD or anything like that. So, uh, so yeah. So, you combine this like really uh, early mixing, like algorithm finding music, with uh, going to the CD store and finding new CDs, and that, that was like kind of the, the basic of it, and this is like a really, I wouldn't say it was like an explosion, but it was, it became a thing for me, almost a ritual to buy two CDs with a uh, paycheck, two or three CDs, and that was just it, like every two weeks I would go out and buy two CDs, like, you know, CD of the week club, and slowly but surely, I built up musical taste, and at that time, you're 
musical library was defined by how many CDs you could fit in your CD holder. So I had the, um, I, I want to say it was about, it was about a 96 CD case, maybe not even that much, maybe, uh, gosh, it was probably about 70, 72 CDs. No, it wasn't that much either. It might have been 48, like the, the two CDs per sheet. There was probably, I'm going to say about 48 or so CDs uh, in my first year. And uh, having a collection like that really sort of solidified things for me in a way that they hadn't before. I remember seeing one of my friends. He had, he did have the big like four wide giant CD case, which I would eventually get. Not quite pull out, but like seeing like, oh yeah, he's got every single Beastie Boys album. So you know that was like kind of a goal for me. Like, oh yeah, I can I can go out and I can find every single Beastie Boys album. I can get I can find every single lead. Zeppelin album, and at that time, listening to music had like this kind of collector mentality for me. Um, like, oh yeah, I have listened to. There was a certain like you know cachet, like a, oh yes, I have listened to all of the, the Led Zeppelin. I know Led Zeppelin, whatever. Uh, you know, of course now, whatever. Uh, but you know, nobody's gonna show off their CD collection, or the DC boys were. Uh, but that was kind of building my, my base a little bit, you know, like, uh, I'd have these bands that, you know, my bands, quote unquote, and I'd say, these are the ones I like. Um, these are me, these are, you know, what's up on me, DC boys are me. Um, funny, because I don't really, go back and listen to either of those a lot anymore, but they, you know, they were kind of my cornerstones, and um, and then I would fill it out with other bands, other music, uh, you know, maybe a little Floyd here and there, I got into Cream, somebody re recommended Disraeli Gears, and uh, you know, like, I, I remember, you know, just like, being at the grocery store where I worked, and uh, you know, thinking about that next album that I was going to get, you know, like, oh, you know, um, yeah, like, that's how I got into Creed. I was like, yeah, maybe it'd be good to get into Creed, uh, which was actually a recommendation of my dad. Not that he was like, you need to listen to Creed, but it was like, you know, uh, he played Tales of Brave Ulysses for me. Like, oh, yeah, maybe uh, I should check this out, you know, so... You know, every once in a while, buy a new album if I knew it was something I really wanted to listen to. And if it was, um, you know, just something kind of whatever, uh, you know, find it used. And I, I think to touch on this, you know, growing up in a consumer capitalist society, I think it really is important to kind of see how at this time uh, the ability to consume product for me was a pretty formative event. 
not just in music, but in uh, games too. The art of building a, a CD library. The art of, I, I wouldn't even call it art. I mean, let's not flat capitalism here. Um, you know, but, you know, building a CD library, building a game library, these were processes, and the processes were built on the ability to go to stores and buy things. This was something I didn't have much of an experience of before that, because we didn't really um, have a lot of personal income. Uh, you know, I was lucky enough, you know, my parents provided for me. Uh, in its own right was never something that I actually did a lot of or really enjoyed until I could actually do it on my own. So once um, once I had transportation, because yeah, growing up in the South, it's not like you could hop on a train and go anywhere, you know, like I had that quote unquote freedom. But you know, like your freedoms again it's a quote unquote, you know, yes you have Mobility, as long as you're able to pay for gas. Um, but where does that mobility get you? Where, where are the places you can go? And for me, the, the places were the stores. You know. um, stores and arcades. Uh, there were still a few arcades. We were kind of salvaging both the last of them. By the time we got cars, we could make it out to a couple of arcades, and, uh, and we did, but those would not be much longer. Uh, in, in the late 90s, arcades were much more of a novelty uh, than anything else. They were not really driving the industry, uh, but you could find good machines throughout Memphis, and uh, you know, that's, that's how it was. Um, but yeah, so so this element of shopping had uh, a pretty big impact. So it wasn't just buying music; it was the experience of uh, like being able to shop for uh, like go to a place and look through things and uh, find things used. I'm not sure. Like I didn't really have a strong anti capital sentiment when I was younger. In particular, I wouldn't call myself a leftist per se, but I, I did have a very hmm, I, was, I, I knew I was very strongly against Abercrombie, that's that's for sure. Uh, and I did not like hanging out in malls so much. I've uh, been to malls I just knew that Abercrombie or, you know, like, the Amigo kind of look was something that I was just, like, very intrinsically against. And, uh, so the places I was shocked, I, I wanted to buy, like, to me it was like, why, why buy this overpriced stuff, you know, why buy it, why not buy it used? So, like, um, yeah, I would go to, like, thrift store, you know, 
Continuing, I do want to. I want to note quickly that in talking about these times in the past, uh, I'm not trying to say that you know, oh, these times are better. Uh, those were really good old days because they weren't. Um, and I kind of have to be aware that you know, it's easy to get into that. Whatever you want to call it, that false narrative of like, oh yeah, this time sucks, this time's better. Of course, you know, looking at 2020, that's not a hard comparison to make. But even with all the shit that happened last year, continuing into this year, I think it is really important to maintain that sense of critical awareness of you know, times then were not all of that in a bag of chips as far as, uh, you know, like, just the state of communication, the rights that women had, uh, I mean, rights, but just, you know, Me Too wasn't a thing. It was like, you just, like, there were certain gender norms and things, like, you couldn't even have gay marriages. Like, so this is definitely not one of those let's 
go back to the 90s kind of things. It's just, you know, like not where I would like to be. Um, be that as it may, I feel like there is still a lot that can be explored here. So that's kind of the joy of, for me, um, kind of looking at these moments. And just, I think the best way is to say hold, holding them. It's kind of my metaphor for, um, how to say this? Yeah, just taking a moment in time, holding it in the present, and then, uh, you know, this kind of sheds a light on where things are now, currently, and, uh, you know, how these things come about, and where I'm at personally, and how, you know, looking at these kind of things that happened in my past can continue to influence my life in this <laughs> So, yeah, commercial over. I want to shift now to uh, 2006. I mean, what's, what's interesting was the strange connection between 2000 and 2006. This is when I, like, when I look at my past, um, one of the things I notice is, you know, I was an aesthetic entity in 2006. I was also nostalgizing about the past, you know, as a kid. You know, like, it's a weird thing to say, but, like, in 2006... I was kind of nostalgic for 2000, you know, like, I'd been uh, uh, in college, it was my final year of college, and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot can change. Things definitely changed. I uh, think the major mode of listening to music, for me, had changed. I might have gotten an iPod at some point. I was a very late adopter of the cell phone. I got a cell phone finally in 2006. It was like a razor or something like that, you know. And that was that was a big deal. Might have been a razor. It might have been a big deal. You know, whatever. Uh, and then the very next year, uh, I worked at a place got an iPhone. So that was a weird jump. But um, anyway. It, 2006, I think I was still listening to some music on CDs. I was, I was delivering pizzas, and uh, I was using a car. I might have, but I think I mostly listened to the radio at that point. Um, but I was, I was feeling nostalgic. Like, I think I had looked at 2000, and I didn't quite have, like, in-depth mood that I just gave it here. But I was kind of like, wow, you know, 2000 and Janet, you know, like... Stuff going on then. Um, I was really into music then. I should do that again. And so I, I did. I kind of got back into CDs. Uh, and this was kind of a reverb, kind of an echo of the original. It was not a, uh, uh, I don't know how to call it, uh, the, the same because I was, I was in different places. Uh, I started doing like an interesting thing where like, you know, oh, I should save the original. 
original CD. I'll just burn all of my music onto um, blank CDs and save the original to like maintain the original quality. There's a really interesting like niche that I got into, and uh, like I started color coding all of my CDs based on the style of music that they were. So if it was deep blues or something, I would use a to, you know, just kind of a little illustration and cover, and if it was um, maybe something more hard rock, I would do red. Um, there's a really interesting way to combine color and music, seeing music as like this musical spectrum, and uh, I thought it was a pretty cool experiment. Uh, it didn't really pan out in terms of idea was to have this uniform modular music collection and it just became cumbersome after a while uh, and then I think the one thing I discounted you know with my sense of oh yeah I'll just get back into music I kind of forgot that I had at the time I was not in Memphis I was in my college town giant plethora of CD stores. I did maybe rip a few CDs, but I was not really into that so much at the time. There was a, a phase where I was kind of like burning music on the CDs, but it was pretty short. Sure. I think enough though for that kind of warrants its own podcast. Its own um, so it was kind of like 2000 was when I was actually doing this and actively kind of creating this musical system. 2006 was more of an echo, I think. Um, even in the style of music that I was trying to get into, there was a, a real sense of nostalgic grasping. So um, I was getting back into Beck, you know, <laughs> like uh, he did put out uh, some really good albums at that time, Guero and uh, uh, The Information. Both of these, obviously I haven't listened to them really at the time, but they had some really good tracks, honestly. So uh, it was kind of like, yeah, you know, back to back to that time, you know, it was really like, you know, live like it's 1999 again. Yeah. But it didn't have that same cachet because even at that time in the early 2000s, CDs had fallen out of favor. You know, you just there was not as many places where you could just play them, and it wasn't uh, as ubiquitous and accessible. By that time, the MP3 had pretty strongly gotten hold. Uh, however. We had already been through two or three cycles of uh, downloading services. Napster famously got shut down way early. And then we had uh, Audio Galaxy, I would say, was one of my favorites. That was, wow, that was, that was really good. Um, we could find some amazing stuff Audio Galaxy. And then uh, Kazaa. 
LimeWire. Uh, I think by the end of my time in college, in 2006, we were on LimeWire. And LimeWire was, um, you know, it was very hit or miss. And I was not really into uh, just building these gigantic music libraries at that time. It wasn't really, I, I was busy with other things, of course, but um, yeah, it, was, it just wasn't where my heart was musically to like, I, I did, I know, download a bunch of stuff at that time, but I, I, you know, it just didn't have that same flavor for me, you know, like, the kind of magic of, um, like, finding something, you know, have this tangibility to it that just downloading stuff online where it didn't have for me. So I never, I never really got into that in a big way. So I think CDs were kind of my last grasp at, you know, like, oh, here's this uh, nostalgic thing that I can utilize to create some memories of music and whatever. And that lasted maybe into 2000 a little bit. And, uh, I kept the CDs around to some extent, but uh, that, that didn't hold quite for me. By the time I moved out to California, uh, I think pretty much everything was on an MP3. So, uh, yeah, the CDs had gone away of the demo, definitely by uh, 2010. Uh, so, <laughs> some really interesting stuff here today, kind of looking at 2000, I, I really hadn't realized how all of these things had worked together to make that sort of music situation possible for me, and although that particular one is not possible again today uh, much as I've tried to replicate it I think other methods are still relevant and uh, possible. So, like for now, like I've just um, do a quick aside. When I, uh, I I got back into vinyl maybe two years ago, three years ago, uh, you know, I bought a cheap um, turntable and. Uh, you know, there's a little record store, and I just like, yeah, you know, maybe I'm gonna do it. You know, maybe we'll get back into vinyl and, and see how that goes. And I would buy like some used, uh, you know, some used LPs and things like that. But it just didn't have that same. I don't know. It was very, very cumbersome, and like living in a small place, I couldn't really, you know, couldn't get into it. It just wasn't quite. I appreciated it, but uh, it wasn't quite the best way for me to really get into music. Um, not trying to plug it all, but then eventually uh, did free service or free thing with Apple Music for a while, and I got on the Spotify, and I had resisted Spotify for 
long, long, long time. Because uh, there was kind of a glitch with my Facebook account. So I just made a fake Facebook and then did up. I got, you know, I took a plunge and went for a premium because I hate advertisements. And um, that was about one or two years ago. Kind of ushered in like major musical renaissance for me because it opened up so many uh, avenues for text music that I wanted to listen to for the longest time, but I just didn't have the means to experience like uh, a lot of hip hop art, R and B. Just I, I was aware of a lot of it, and I was able to sink my teeth and explore a lot of it. So hip hop, R and B, and electronic music now, you know, kind of getting into these. And I would even go so far as to say that uh, the music exploration that I've done in the past two years has been uh, just as powerful as, uh, as what I was doing back in 2000, even though I didn't have access to a used record store or anything. Uh, so just to my point that just because these methods in 2000 were no longer accessible today, you know, these record stores and whatever, uh, this is not for me a lot of times better. Um, you know, we, we have new methods to explore music today, but I think it was really interesting to note the, the influence that that time had, how it's created a sense of discovery and possibility where, you know, growing up in the South, you know, maybe at that time there, there wasn't a lot, you know, like, that was incredibly helpful. The sense of, hey, well, music can really open up some doors. Uh, and that, that feeling is something that can continue maybe color my, color my world, so to speak, in a, a really positive way. So, uh, that's where I'm at now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So, yeah, that, that was awesome, but I'll publish this one. So that means, that means you're listening to it. Uh, anyway, so thank you for tuning in. And uh, wish you all well. And that's, that's it. Thank you. Goodbye.